Hey guys, I'm Jonathan Hilliard from Connects Media and host of Atlanta Born and Brand. On this week's episode, we're going to share some of the best of Atlanta Born and Brand. There are over 60,000 Black-owned businesses in this city, and we are committed to making sure our show accurately reflects the city we represent. Today, we're excited to bring back three Black business leaders, Tracy Pickett from Hairbrella, Jaquan Cummings of Quan ATL, and Brandon Butler from Butter ATL. If somebody came up to you on the street and they asked you what you do, what would you tell them about Hairbrella in the in the first, you know, 15, 20 seconds? How would you describe it? My name is Tracy Pickett. I am the founder and inventor of the Hairbrella, which is the world's first satin line rain hat that is proven to keep women's hair dry and style protected no matter the forecast. And we talked a little bit offline. You are Atlanta through and through. So take me back into to your history growing up and tell me about growing up in and around the city and, and uh, what ultimately led you to the career path that you that you chose. Yeah, so um, yeah, definitely born and raised here. Not a Grady baby, but North Side, mm. so like close second. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, and, uh, Which yeah. me too, by the way, we really? discovered. Yeah. Right, yeah, North absolutely. Side. So yeah, um, so yeah I uh, grew up, you know, kind of north side of town, and then my dad was – a uh, pastor in Southwest Atlanta-ish, mm. you know, uh, university area yeah. back when, before it was Metropolitan, it was Stewart Avenue. And so, um, and went to school in, in East Point, College Park, and, you know, uh, Camp Creek Middle School, that yeah. whole deal. Um, great experience. And then uh, wanted to become a lawyer. Um, and I was always passionate about kind of helping creatives. So mm. I'm a musician. Um, I started playing drums when I was 12 years old, been playing drums for my dad's church. I was going to play, you played in the church, no doubt about it. Yes, absolutely. I still play to this day. And so, um, I was like, well, I'm not going to necessarily like take this all the way, but I'll Mm. become a lawyer and be able to help these guys um, who went on to play for some of everybody. Um, and so, uh, but in the midst of, you know, getting, um, you know, going through college with the Spellman for college. Mm Uh, I was, you know, kind of walking across campus, and I had this issue where every time I got my hair done, it would rain, like <laughs> a curse. I yeah. mean, I couldn't get away from it. And then, you know, at the point that you're in college now, you know, mom's not paying for your hair anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're walking, like you're having you to walk a lot more, right? Like, <laughs> you got to make it last. You know, in Atlanta, you can usually park almost anywhere, but when you're in college, you got to walk. For you sure. Know? So I was walking, and I realized, like, my investment of time and money was just going down the drain if it was raining. Like, even if I had an umbrella, it didn't matter. Like, the humidity in Atlanta and the moisture in the air would ruin my hair. So I was like, okay, this is a problem. Kept dealing with it. Went to uh, law school and um, was on my way to an interview, and (laughs) it started raining, and I didn't even have an umbrella. I just had my Office Depot bag that I had gotten my (laughs) resume paper. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't be late, right? They're not going to hear an excuse about that, my hair. Like, no, that's not going to be an excuse. So I had to make a run for it. And I looked a mess by the time I got there. And Hmm. I said, you know, this is a problem that needs to get solved. Um, I started looking online to see if there was a solution to it. Um, couldn't find anything except for like bucket caps. And I'm like, yeah. my hair's still out. Like, how does this help me? Yeah. So 
Um, and then the plastic caps weren't going to do it. So it doesn't help to have half my hair a mess. Right, right, exactly. Actually, that looks yeah. even more awkward. Um, <laughs> might as well mess up the whole thing. So, um, so yeah. So uh, started just kind of you know doodling some ideas. Wanted to get the patent first. Sure. Um, and just had kind of, you know, a little bit of money saved. I had my, like, Sarah Blakely story. I put away, you know, X amount of dollars. That's what it was going to cost to do the hmm. patent. But I didn't know if I should spend it because I feel like, you know, everybody thinks they have a great yeah. idea. Um, who am I to think that this is actually one I should pursue? Sure. And ask God for a sign. Like, God, if I'm supposed to do this, please give me a sign. <laughs> and um, went to, you know, drove to Atlanta every weekend. Hmm. Uh, went to Nakato with my parents in Buckhead, our favorite hmm. restaurant. And they sit Sarah Blakely right next to me at the hibachi no. table. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I remember, like, looking straight not to look at her. That's um, hilarious. And so I, my mom made me introduce myself, of course, and told her that yeah. I had an idea. She made me pitch it right there. Wow. Not made me. I pitched she, it right there. She yeah. allowed me to pitch it. Sure. Um, and told her. She was like, I feel really good about that. You should definitely go for it. Hmm. That was my sign. Um, no and, doubt. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, they don't always come that clearly. Right, yeah. Know? Like, yeah. God was serious. Like, do this. For sure. Um, and so, yeah, that's really where it began. And from there, you know, just started working on um, finding people that could help me. I don't right. sew. I don't have any of those, like, I don't have any background in textiles or hmm. manufacturing. And so I just kind of had to work my way through that, but also went ahead and started working because I had to pay my bills. And right. so um, uh, worked at... Uh, uh, McKesson Corporation up in Alpharetta mm. um, and had a great time there, um, but ended up, you know, working nights and weekends to develop the product. And at the point that I was ready to um, um, actually launch it, um, it was right at the deadline of me saying I wasn't going to work for more than five years before I took the jump. You took the shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I felt like if I waited longer than that, I wasn't going to do it. Sure. Um, so. Left my job, did a Kickstarter campaign to get some testing done and get some feedback, and yeah. you know the rest is history. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, and yeah. Hairbrella, you know, while maybe it was one of your first ideas, it wasn't the first startup that right. you jumped yes, into. Yes, that's true. So you kind of had a side hustle there while you're doing the uh, doing the lawyer thing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So my, um, uh, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mm. I again, I had this thing like. How do you know your ideas are good? Mm. Um, Hairbrella was definitely going to take a lot more time and money. And so um, I was like, well, let me test out one of my other ideas. And sure. so it was for an emoji app that would represent, you know, the culture and kind of those um, kind of paralingual hues that we use, you know, coming mm. from the church or mm -hmm. coming from Atlanta culture or just being from the South, like any of those things that, like, I feel like we didn't have, we didn't even have, like, tones, like, you know, um, skin tones back then. Okay, so yeah, there was just the yellow yeah, thumbs up. That's, that's it. All you that's got. all you had. Yeah. So I was like, man, there should be something. You know, we're we're communicating more and more on digital sure. devices. We should be able to express ourselves. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I always like use ten of the same emoji to kind of like express. I'm like, no, right. I shouldn't have to do that. It should be <laughs> something that actually depicts this. So anyway, um, yeah. So we launched. I I found uh, you know three other co-founders from. Georgia State and Georgia Tech. Um, they well, they kind of found me. I, I was talking about it at a church. Friend introduced me. We said, "All right, you know, let's all throw in two thousand dollars and launch this app." Yeah. And um, surprisingly, it did really well. It went viral the first day. It 
was put out. We didn't even we didn't even announce it. People just started posting about it. Wow. Um, and uh, we've done quite a few apps for other um, entities mm. like um, Getty Images. We have one, the, the one Atlanta. Um, emojis that we created yeah. last year for Mayor Bottoms. So there's awesome. a there's an emoji that says I, we have a ma- mayor named Keisha, right? And A <laughs> Town down and all the stuff that we need. Um, so, yes. So yeah, and then we end up getting like to number two paid overall in the App Store. Whoa. So we did really well. Um, of course, you know, over time technology changes and there's a lot more. Um, you know, the problem we were looking to solve there's a lot more content that is available sure. now, which is great. So we're actually not at before. Um, we taped this. I it was meeting with my developers about something we're working on, kind of in the AI space. But <clears throat> longer, longer term goals there. Yeah. Um, but that's something that you know I haven't, um, I haven't like left alone. Is something that we are hmm. trying to kind of see, like what is that next um, big thing that we can bring to the mes- messaging sure. space to enhance digital communications. And I'm super excited to get back to it. But right now, I've got to like throw all my energy into Hairbrella because no it's doubt. definitely taking off, and, and definitely want to make sure we you know, realize the growth there as well. Now, I'm already sensing that you are a personality like me that if we don't have five things going on, <laughs> we're not just not happy. That right, something, right. Something's yeah, wrong yeah. and we got to find something to, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. not fill our time because time's already full, right. but somehow you make time for these other things. Is that just, you know, you're balancing a few different passions or yeah. you're just a creator at heart? What do you think yeah. that is in you? So I do think, uh, and I've, I've, reduce this it, it was worse than this <laughs> um, um where you feel like there are a few things that you are either good at or you even have the resources for or have some experience sure. in that you should pursue um and i read a book uh last year called the one thing and mm. that book really helped me to hone in so while i had that mm. that was the first time i've talked to those developers in a while yeah. um you know I'm, I'm still writing notes on the things i want to do but i had to last year focus sure. fully on Hairbrella. Um, and there was a point where I had to do some consulting to pay the bills. But other than that, I realized I had to like really focus in. Um, and so I, I do feel like I'm a creator at heart. In fact, mm-hmm. I went on a, um, I went to a conference um, with John Maida. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. No. Um, he's like huge in the design space, which I wasn't okay. familiar with, but they were like referring to us as designers. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a designer like but they're like yeah you are your product yeah, designer you know no and so I had to kind of realize that um and then kind of when I look back like ask you asking me that question mm. I probably wouldn't have said that before but that's you know I feel like I'm a problem solver every time I get frustrated with something I think about what needs to be created yeah and that's why I have like this laundry list of ideas and I've learned to just put them down sure. don't start working on them just just record yeah because it is, it is a different mindset yes. there are people who like experience problems every day mm-hmm. and don't think one time to right, themselves yeah, yeah. I, I could solve that problem right, right there's folks who are just like well I guess this is going to be a problem right exactly you know? <laughs> like I'll just avoid this next time <laughs> yeah yeah how do I work around this right right yep and you're like Heck no! How do we like mm-hmm. begin to solve this yeah. problem? You know, it's those micro steps of all right. What's the first thing? Like you were talking mm-hmm. about when you're saying, okay, I got to make sure I can get the patent. Mm-hmm. You know, first mm-hmm. of, first of all. Yep. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's so many. It's never. Um, if you were to think about all the things you're gonna have to do to get to the ultimate destination at the beginning, hmm. you probably won't. Right. Um, and I think about all that's happened in the last three years. And I'm kind of glad I didn't see all of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No because, doubt. Scary you know, off. some things you just need to, you know, get your get get 
to a point where um, you're prepared to face those and have enough of the like background and enough of the like skin in the game that yeah. would help you meet those challenges. And when you get there, you know, no one ever felt like, oh, I've got it in the bag from <laughs> the beginning. It's, it's really about just being committed to getting there and then just dealing with dealing with today and planning the best you can for tomorrow. And then sure. if challenges come, deal with those too. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I have, you know, I live in this world as the owner of a video production company where mm-hmm. I'm constantly jealous of people who sell products because okay. I think to myself, I literally have to sell ideas and have mm. to like, I don't have a physical, you mm-hmm. know, you have examples of your work, uh-huh. yeah. but everybody's video project is different. Right. You know, how nice would it be to have a physical product, you know, where mm-hmm. you just go and sell like people Google you know, these things all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I had a physical product, then all my problems would be solved. And we probably feel the same way. Exactly. It works the same way in reverse. If I didn't have to deal with inventory, (laughs) if I didn't have to deal with prototypes. Yes, absolutely. But go into that. Like you you did not have a product background before you you started Herbrellica's uh, Bodicons is very much the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're dealing with basically like intellectual property and creating digital, you know, products. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were those first steps like for you? You know, you talked about trying to get the patent. I'm assume, yep. assuming you got good news on that front, but yep. then how do you go forward from there? Yeah. So, um, yeah, wanted to get the patent first for Hairbrella. Um, and then it was really a Google search hat hmm. maker. I didn't know what to call them. I found out, you know, it's contract sewers, and you probably need to go with a bag maker based on certain components you want to have. So you wow. just kind of had to figure out what is the language around this. I don't even know what to ask for, but let me sure. research enough to do that. And then found a couple of consultants that said they could make it. Hmm. You know, they couldn't. <laughs> you know, couldn't. I had to spend some money. Yeah. had to say, all right, well, this is the last time we're going to have an iteration because it's not mm-hmm. getting closer to what I want. Um, so I probably went through three different contractors mm. that were um, trying to help me, but I learned through that process that what I was creating was, you know, just kind of a new version of a hat. Right. Um, and there were aspects of it um, that I needed to account for, which would require someone who really is an expert in textiles, but <laughs> not tied to any process for making a hat, right? And so I was yeah. really lucky to... Um, find someone um, who was doing trade between China and here. He had lived in China for a long time, but was helping people find people in China then. But he also mm-hmm. sourced um, uh, contractors here who could help with the product design. Yeah. So um, I, she's out in uh, Roswell, uh, uh, TSR Atlanta, if you guys are looking for someone mm-hmm. who can help you with that prototyping process. She's really right. great. Um, and she really, you know, sitting down with her, that was another thing I need to be in person, mm. um, sitting down with her and going back and forth on the design, um, taking it back home and, or even taking it to church and like asking people to come to a room for a minute and try it on and yeah. you know, give me their feedback. Um, we went through probably, it's, I mean, now it's up to 60 prototypes, but back then <laughs> it was at least 45 to 50 that we went through before wow. we launched it. Um, because there's so many aspects and you, some, I say all the time, it's like, once you make something that hasn't been made, you're going to find out why. Yeah. And there were so many reasons why a hat like that shouldn't work, even though it looks simple enough, it's not simple at all. So, um, so yeah, so that went through that process. And then at the point that we had something that we felt like was good enough to test and that's what you want to do. They say, if, you know, if you are not embarrassed by your first version, you started too late. 
Um, and huh. so definitely yeah. embarrassed by my first version. <laughs> <laughs> Especially but, now, I'm sure. You know, exactly. Back on so, it. Um, but I, in knowing that, I felt like instead of just putting it out on the market, let me do a Kickstarter campaign. Hmm. It's going to cost a lot to make them. I'm not going to make any money off of this Kickstarter campaign, but at least I'll get it in the hands of 250 hmm. women who are willing to give me feedback. And yeah. so went through that process, uh, got all the feedback, told them to be as honest, give me all the criticism, don't worry about hurting my feelings. That's so important because people want to be supportive. So yeah, yeah, this is great. It's like, one, you need to know if they're going to pay for it. So that's right. why it's a good idea to do a Kickstarter. Um, and then also you want them to uh, tell you what they wouldn't like, right? Mm. You don't want the encouraging stuff because that's not going to help you make a better product. Right. And there were several very key changes that we made to the product from that process. From Kickstarter. And yeah. um, went back into product development for another six months. Um, mm. And then finally launched the product that we have uh, now. I mean, it's been updated a couple of times since then. But then, and then we went through the manufacturing process mm. of like figuring out how to... Um, we had to reverse engineer the fabric because we couldn't find any more of it here. We bought all there was, and the the, the company Whoa. that was selling it didn't even know where it was sourced <laughs> from, and he wasn't getting any more. So, yeah. you know, those things, and again, like I said, if I had known all from the beginning, and you know, yeah. they said, oh, you're going to have to go through like two years after you develop it of even just figuring out who can make it. You're not going to want to do sure. that. So, you know, something. I'll figure out can, something else to do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, I'll keep my job. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of like meeting the challenge and realizing, okay, here's another hurdle. Um, but I can't say enough how important it is to just decide up front that you're going to hmm. see it through. Um, and I think at the only point, you know, th that doesn't mean that there's no reason ever to you know, yeah. decide to go another direction. But that should only be at the point that you have done all that you can do. Sure. You've exhausted all, you know, and and most times, I don't know if anybody really gets there. Like, it's very rare that you get to that point where there's absolutely nothing. Of Options you tried. are Everything. Yeah, 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 crossed off. Right. So, sure. and I was willing to go down to, like, selling them on the side of the street. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you got to be willing to go that far. So, anyway. Well, you were literally willing to go across the world. To figure well, this there out. we go. Yes, you know, yes. Like, yes. It doesn't get more committed than that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So the yeah the process. Um, we have great resources now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned. I mean, Google. Just even when I think about if my parents had tried to do something like this, and you yeah. know, we have so much information now that there's <laughs> so much more that we can create because now the average person can go and create something. You just sure. gotta find the folks that know how to do the things that you don't know how to do yet. You're right. Yeah. And I don't know if you you follow Gary Vee at all, but yeah, he, yeah. he talks about that a lot. Like okay. living, we're living in the best time that there ever has been to live because yes. if you've got a dream, literally you open Google and yes. you can figure out the first steps Absolutely. of starting to accomplish that dream. And I almost feel like that's what is, um, that's kind of the driving, like, even if I wanted to just practice law and <laughs> have a nice life and yeah. nice income, I would regret not knowing what would have happened if I had devoted that same energy with an idea and, and just to see sure. what would happen. I, I'm more afraid of regretting it down the road than I am of, you know, not necessarily or possibly failing. Yeah. That That is the thing I'm afraid of, and that's what drives me, and I'm really – I'm, I'm still glad, I, even with things that have not gone like I wanted them to, I, I'd much rather be on this ride. Sure. And I think that if anybody has an inkling to do that, they feel like, oh, man, you know, you have that itch, 
you can you are in living in the day and age where you yeah. absolutely should go for it um, and and do so. Like I said, I was working for um, three years leading up to any yeah. launch. You know, it definitely takes some preparation time. I saved income for a year. Probably should have saved for three, but <laughs> did save for one. Um, you know, do do the things you need to do to maintain stability. Yeah. Um, but we definitely have all these resources at our fingertips to start a brand, start a company, and it's, yeah. if you want to do that, like it's totally worth it. Like I I love what I do every day. To keep up with Tracy and the Hairbrella crew, follow them on social media at Tracy Pickett Esquire and at Hairbrella, or head to hairbrella.com. When I graduated, I went to Morehouse um, for, for a minute. It wasn't really the vibe I was looking for. Um, got a lot of great friends who went up there and know a ton of great folks that graduated. But I think for me, just having grown up in the city um, and been around for a while, just going downtown wasn't yeah. really, I wanted something different. Uh, so I ended up going to Georgia Southern, um, which I love, you know, just mm -hmm. having a, I always kind of say like that uh, college town experience. Yeah. is something that you just, you gotta, you gotta experience if you get the opportunity for it. So talk about uh, culture shock, man, Morehouse to Georgia Southern. That, yeah, it was a little it, different, huh? It was a lot different. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Morehouse, is all male, you know, HBCU, yeah. really? um, in the AUC, Georgia Southern, uh, very different in Statesboro. But I just, yeah. you know, I think when I went down there the first time, my best friend and some other folks went down there and I went down there and visited, I just yeah. knew that's what I kind of wanted. Sure. Um, it was, you know, far enough away from home where, you could still get back, you know, if you need to get back. But it was just, it was just interesting, right? I went down yeah. there and visited. Uh, pretty sure it was for Players Ball, which was like mm -hmm. the Georgia Southern version of Freak Nick. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a good time that weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, just when I went down there, I just got this vibe of, you know, being in college. This is what I kind of always thought college was going to be like. So yeah. I ended up moving down there the following year. Uh, original major was uh, physics, but ended up kind of translating that and ended up graduating with a degree in uh, IT. So came out uh, as, as a tech grad, um, it, it was a graduate with the IT program, and also had a, mi a minor in mass comm and Japanese. It was weird. <laughs> I was in Japanese, but the Japanese program got uh, closed down. So I had maybe all but one or two classes to get yeah. a minor in Japanese, which I never use unless I get a couple of drinks. It starts coming out then. Um, <laughs> But then uh, mass comm was something because I always wanted to kind of work in radio. Yeah, I always had this, you know, this vision of working in radio. That was kind of my dream job. So, uh, you know, after I got the the degree, came back to Atlanta, you know, worked around, worked around, uh, worked doing like different IT jobs, everything from, you know, web dev to I was a certified hacker for a while. <laughs> I was a you know IT admin, um, and I always again wanted to kind of work in radio. Hmm. Uh, so ended up going to Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Yeah, and uh, that was. I think 2005, um, okay. went to Kinetic School of Broadcasting, and while I was there, I started my first podcast uh, mm -hmm. with a couple of buddies of mine that were, that were in, the, in the class with me, and some kind of way, I was able to turn that into an opportunity to actually, you know, I tried to get into, like, different radio stations yeah. over the years, and uh, what ended up happening was I saw that Sports Radio 79 The Zone had an uh, internship. So yeah, I had an opportunity to get an internship, um, or at least applied for one, and was going through the process, and they told me I was grossly overqualified <laughs> to be an intern. Uh, but what happened was they also mentioned that they were in the early stages looking for a webmaster, okay. and they just said, you know, stay in, stay in touch with us. And so I just stayed in touch, just kept sending emails, you know, and over probably about four to six months, 
um, they were finally like, all right, we're ready to hire a webmaster. And I had mm. to go through that application process, ended up getting the job and became the first webmaster for 790 The Zone uh, as they were really moving kind of into this new space of doing more stuff in digital yeah. and creating like online content. With it being an online, with it being an FM station, there was, you know, we had a lot of limitations to right. what we could do from a signal standpoint, but really quickly realized there was a big opportunity to kind of do some different stuff uh, with online content and online. So hmm. really just did a lot of like really fun, crazy things while I was there. I had a good probably like four and a half, five year run there before they sold the company. But hmm. I mean, we were doing everything from at that point, we were like the flagship for the Hawks, Braves, Falcons. Yeah. I think we were also like the Atlanta Thrashers, Georgia Tech um, at that point. And, rest uh, in peace, Atlanta Thrashers. Yeah, rest in peace, yeah. Atlanta Thrashers. Yeah. And had a really good time. We got to meet a lot of interesting people and kind of started sure. to learn how this whole radio, media kind of agency world started to work. And so that was like my real first introduction to it. Hmm. Um, what was it like for you to, you know, I think sports radio is historically, um, you know, kind of like a, an old boys club sort of. And those guys at that point when you worked there, I think most of the guys at that station had probably been in the game for, what, 20, 25 years, totally, something totally. like that. So you, you come along and you start to take these guys who are terrestrial radio guys 100% and move them into a digital, digital world. Was that a tough um, kind of uh, coaching point for oh, you, or yeah. did, were they? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, look, I, I always joke, even with Stake, right? I remember I set up Stake's first Twitter account, and uh, I remember I had to have a meeting with them and, like, May them in the AM. And, and some of the guys got it, and I think some of them, you know, like even Stake was like, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was it was early. I don't even really think Facebook was, like, popping like that at that <laughs> point. And, um, and you know, they, they started adopting it and kind of getting into it slowly mm. but surely over time. I think the biggest, the biggest adjustment was really just, you know, everybody just understanding kind of how the web was going to work as yeah. it related to a uh, – as, as it related to the, the station, right? So, you know, there would be times when literally they would call me on air. They'd be like, Brandon, this is what we're doing. How come it's not on the website? <laughs> Um, and just really kind of figuring out like what that would look like, uh, you know, another big part of it was just, again, there was just so much flexibility. Um, yeah. we could do just a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, it was like a frat house sometimes like yeah. looking back on it and just knowing like how much just flexibility we had to kind of do things. Like at one point we actually, we actually did a reality show. Like we, we literally went and found like a, a house up in Smyrna, um, <laughs> some kind of way convinced the real estate agent to let us rig it up with like cameras and microphones for a week moved all the zone shows up there we uh had a toga party one night <laughs> we some kind of way convinced hooters let us do a of a, 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 a video shoot or a photo mm -hmm. shoot in the backyard at the pool yeah um that was the most streamed thing the whole weekend <laughs> so it was like it was stuff like that right it was like what yeah. other radio stations and what other just places and, and even back in 2006 2007 we're like thinking about really kind of interesting ways to use radio or use web to support radio in like different ways. Sure. And so it gave me a lot of just, I learned a lot just in a very short amount of time, but it was definitely a, a little bit of a, an adjustment for them early on. But yeah. once they got onto it and once they started to see that it was helping as well as there was revenue tied to it, that, right. that makes things a lot easier. After working in radio for several years, Brandon's career shifted. This time he looked inward for a new path and began his first journey into the life of a startup builder. And after I left 790, I took some of the money I had saved up and I opened up, uh, it was called the website shop. Hmm. And so it was literally a chain of brick and mortar web design stores. I kind of had this crazy idea because web design is such like a referral based business that, you know, what if we actually put a, a brick and mortar web design store in a mall? 
So after I left 790, that was what I immediately did is I went and, and took all the money I basically had saved up and opened up my first website shop. It was in Northlake Mall. And uh, it was literally, it was right in the front. You would walk in, you could walk up and basically order a website. And, you know, we would build it over a week or two. Yeah. Um, it was right there in the mall. Uh, ended up taking that and was, um, I won the Black Enterprise, like, pitch contest award. Won some money for that. Started just, that's when I kind of started to get more into, like, this whole startup. And, yeah. And just real entrepreneurship for a while. And then while I was doing that, I ended up, just because I had some other things I had to take care of, ended up taking the job at Cox. And that's when I started doing the product management stuff. And that didn't last too long. I was so busy with the website shop stuff, I went back right. there. And, um, yeah, after that, uh, the website shop went on for a couple of years. Um, when that kind of started to phase out, exited that business, was able to kind of, you know, sell it and break even, yeah. <laughs> which is a good situation. Always. We grew to about uh, three locations. Um, and then nice. I, after I got rid of that, uh, went to work at uh, NBA Digital. And so that was during the NBA mm-hmm. lockout season. They brought me in um, as, the, as the project lead to help get all their apps launched that year. Hmm. Um, so again, got back into kind of just, you know, digital and content and tech. And then after that, left there, because that was only a short-term project, because what happened with the NBA lockout is everything for the NBA got put on hold, in- including right. the development of all the apps. Hmm. And then when the lockout was over, they had like a, maybe a month and a half period to get everything done. And so left there, ended up going to uh, public broadcast in Atlanta, where I ran digital there for about, eh, it wasn't that long. like. You know, so the thing about thing about that, it was a good situation, but kind of like 790, you know, you had a lot of folks in there who were used to doing things a certain yeah. way. Old school mindset. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember, you know, somebody saying to me, why would a, a, a radio or TV personality ever need Twitter? <laughs> um, and so I knew at that point, you know, that probably wasn't going to be the place. Plus, I had to dress up every day, so I knew that just probably wasn't going to be a place for me long term. And uh, ended up uh, leaving there and going to Edelman. Um, Edelman's a PR firm. They're the largest PR firm in the world. They have Mm -hmm. an office out here in Atlanta and really quickly went there from, I came in as like tech director and within maybe a year and a half, two years, got promoted to VP Mm -hmm. and was the VP of digital up there for about close to four years. Um, While I was there, I I was uh, also started pursuing my MBA at Georgia Tech. So then I graduated from the executive MBA program at Tech, uh, did what all uh, tech grads do is go work in consulting for Accenture <laughs> for a while, decided that that wasn't really feeling that, um, and then ended up here at Dagger. Dagger is a um, you know, strategic content creative agency. So um, you know, our, I think our mission, our goal is honestly to become one of the most compelling places for growth-minded talent in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I mean, we want to become that agency uh, that, you know, that people go to. I think when you think about just the agency kind of you know, marketing, content, you know, creative standpoint, mm-hmm. In a lot of cities, there are, you know, everybody knows who the big shop is in that city. And I think in Atlanta, while there's a lot of great agencies, there's not really one that's like, this is, you know, it's the one that stands out beyond all the rest. So from a dagger standpoint, I mean, we're just super aggressive and really becoming, you know, one of the most well-known, most visible agencies in the city. Uh, We do a work for a lot of of brands around here, everybody from Sweetwater to um, IHG to Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. Um, and a lot of other brands. So really just trying to grow in that space and just get the best people and the best talent and just create the best content. You know, after being at Dagger for a few months, started kind of having conversations with, with our CEO, Mike Kapowski, about the just doing something different in Atlanta and just yeah. how brands should be thinking like media companies. And, you know, he was the one that actually kind of started coming up with this idea of media company. We didn't know what it was going to be at that point, but when, by the time it kind of became butter, um, I was just in a position to, you know, kind of start helping with that team. And then we had kind of a point where we wanted to just really, you know, really kind of take it to the next level. And so I got involved um, on a more regular basis. And, yeah. you know, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. yeah. So 
there's a it seems like a kind of a colliding of heads in some ways now with companies and the two different approaches of okay we have to we have to protect the bottom line we have to make money and then we have to stay relevant and put out content that um, kind of puts off to the to the public that you know you have your eyes open we have our ears open is that something you guys struggle with with butter is okay how do we make the best content the most relevant content as possible but still make sure that that this endeavor is not a huge drain on the the dagger bottom line how do you guys balance that totally well i mean i, th- I think that just speaks to just the 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 forward thinking um mentality of, of mike the ceo and the rest of the leadership team here at at dagger um i mean butter is something that that the the, the company is invested in and committed to yeah um you know we knew that in order to stand it up it was going to take money and resources mm-hmm. to do it and what the great thing about it is um you know our primary objective from a butter standpoint right now isn't to you know what's the quickest way we can make a dollar um mm-hmm. we can be you know a little bit more strategic in what we think makes sense because we want to protect you know the authenticity and, and just our credibility but on the flip side i think it really it really helps us because the, the other thing that butter really is it's like the ultimate case study mm-hmm. Um, it's the ultimate way for the folks, even on the dagger side of the business, because I work on both sides of the business as well. But mm-hmm. even on the dagger side, you know, for us to be able to stand up and say, like, yes, brands check like media companies and we as a brand are acting like a media company. Here yeah. is our media company. I mean, that just becomes an instant differentiator when you're mm-hmm. going and you're talking to potential clients and brands. They see that you're actually, you know, you're actually, you know, drinking your own Kool-Aid. Yeah. Um, so eating you your know, own dog food, right? Like and, and, yeah. and you know, the, and the great thing is, like I said, it's it's created you know opportunities um, on both sides of the business. It's created revenue opportunities on the dagger side. It's also created opportunities for revenue on the butter side. Yeah. Um, so again, ultimately, you know, that's it's great that we're in a situation where, again, for at least for butter, like dollars isn't our main objective right now. Yeah. It's really just about you know relevance and attention. And there's a, a long-term commitment from you know the rest of the folks here at Dagger um, to help make it something, make it something that uh, everybody's proud of. What were your strategies early on with Butter to to get the word out and kind of educate the public that this thing existed? Uh, early on, I mean, it was just to focus on making relevant content and to kind of mm-hmm. figure out like what was going on and how we could tap into conversations. Uh, you know, beyond that, it was, you know, we had to obviously include some strategy to just amplify some of our posts and get some visibility. But again, we just knew that once we could kind of get some consistency and kind of hit some scale and just, Mm. uh, just make good stuff, you know, as you say, if you make it, people will come. Yeah. Um, I can't, I'm trying to think of like, what was like one of the first real kind of breakthrough moments? Um, you know, it would probably be, we did some content around, I mean, we were making like stuff like, so we have like a series called Atlantapedia. We have some episodic serial content, but mm-hmm. we did this one, um, we did this one series called Sneakerheads um, in partnership with uh, another media company out here called Blossom. Yeah. They're a, um, a, a, f- a female focused media company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did this partnership with them on some content called Sneakerheads where it talked about Atlanta based female shoe collectors <laughs> and uh, Killer Mike DM'd us. <laughs> um, and uh, he, just, he just saw some of the content that we created around just sneakers and sneaker culture and something we did on Wish ATL. And that was when we kind of knew um, that this thing was starting to people were hearing people were people were starting to pay attention to it and and ever since then um you know again just we've had more and more brands influencers people kind of reach out to us and i I think that people just you know respect the work and i think that's just a testament to like all the great folks who are on the team you know making making all the great stuff you see on the feed what are you guys tenants for for butter individually about how you want that brand to be perceived by the by the public what's important to you in, in branding butter 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of as I say the ABCs, right? It's all about you know being um, authentic, believable, and credible. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a big concern out here in Atlanta. People always throw around the term like gentrification, and right. you know, even as a even as a even as a black person myself, I mean, I've seen how the city's grown over the years and changed. But at the same time, I think there are ways that we can respect the past, but also look at the future and what's relevant. Yeah. And it's kind of having that balance. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not making, we're not making content for one group or the other group. We're making content for people that like Atlanta and love Atlanta. Yeah. You know, so there are going to be certain things that resonate with people more than other things. But I think it's consistently kind of figuring out what that balance is and consistently just trying to hit all these kind of tribes or small groups of interested people. Sure. Um, you know, the, the thing we always say is, again, is Atlanta, uh, Butter is Atlanta's culture channel, and our definition of culture is people like us do things like this. So we think about the people, places, and things that make Atlanta relevant. Again, Atlanta's one of the only places where you can go, you know, to the High Museum to go check out Infinity Mirrors, and then you can go to Magic City, <laughs> you know, in the same, with the same group of people, and it's just yeah. cool, because that's how the yeah. city is, right? Like, we just... We're just a different type of mentality out here, and I think it's that's how I look at it, and I think that's yeah. how the rest of the team looks at it, and just knowing that um, Atlanta's not just one thing. It's a it's a very, as I say, it's becoming more and more of even like a polyethnic city, where yeah. just you know the people, you know who they are culturally isn't always who they are ethnically, and sure. as those lines get blurred and as different people, different experiences keep coming into the city, I think it's for us to continue to find ways to kind of tell those stories and, and tell them in just unique and different ways. Yeah. Um, like even when we do interviews, I tell everybody that we interview. Um, we don't want to do the same old what inspired you. We want to find kind of a, a new way to kind of put a spin on that. So if that means that, you know, you got to, you know, bungee jump and do the interview, I mean, there's everything's on the table. And I yeah. think even with that, just um, it gets people to thinking really differently about how they can, you know, create content and tell their own stories. Do you foresee a day where Butter does kind of prop itself up financially and kind of operates as a as its own business? Or do you think it's always something that, um, you know, like you said right now, fin financial uh, kind of independence is not the most important thing. Um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't, I didn't go to uh, Georgia tech to get my MBA <laughs> to, you know, to run an Instagram channel. Um, and so I think, you know, for us, yeah. you know, we'll look for those opportunities as they make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, again, we've been able to do some things early on a lot faster than even, you know, anybody here imagined where sure. we were actually able to, uh, you know, create some revenue opportunities right. and create some good partnerships. And I think that's just, again, an early testament to what's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you know, it's something that we want to make it be self-sustainable. You know, we want it to, to have, um, we want to just do more and more. Right. And again, yeah. th that takes resources, that takes money, that takes, uh, getting the right people on the bus. So, you know, over time, you know, as we start to do more things beyond just IG, as I always say, we are a media company. We're rolling out uh, long form content now. Mm -hmm. We're starting to produce that. That'll start coming out on YouTube next month. Um, we're in the early stages of building out a podcast studio to start doing mm -hmm. some more podcasting. Nice. Um, you know, experience is going to be a big push for us this year. You know, actually, you know, as I say, breaking the fourth wall, because even coming from the 790 days, like one of the one of the main things I learned there was it's all about butts and seats. Yeah. And, you know, even when we had like an AM signal again, it, you know, our signal would uh, adjust as the sun would set <laughs> right mm -hmm. back in the day. So, you know, it's 790 was really very event driven. Um, and that kind of taught me early on that, you know, it's great that you can have this media company and this megaphone, but if you can't mobilize crowds and audiences, right, then you're missing out. And so, um, you know, for us. That's going to be a very big push. Um, we partnered with a couple of brands already. We're in the early pre-production stages of doing some experiences and events that are going to start happening. Um, you know, uh, May, April, May, June of this year. So, yeah. really excited to kind of see how that stuff starts to come to life, just so we can see how the butter brand actually shows up, um, not just online, but actually in real life.
And to keep up with Brandon and the Butter crew, follow him on Instagram at butter.atl. I just wanted to shorten it up because people wouldn't really tag when they like gave me credit for photos. My yeah. name was just way too long. <laughs> so uh, my mom calls me Quan. A couple of my old high school friends, they just call me Quan. Yeah. And I live, in, I live in Atlanta, ATL. <laughs> there you go. Well, take me back to the beginning, man. Like how, uh, first of all, did you grow up in Atlanta or when did you uh so, honestly, here? I was born in Boston, yeah. Massachusetts, and I moved to Atlanta around, like, I honestly don't remember the year, but I was in fourth grade. Okay. So, I can say I did, yeah, grow up in the downtown area right. of Atlanta. What uh, what neighborhood did you grow up in? Um, Kind of like Grant Park, Lakewood area. Yeah. Down on Hank Aaron. Yeah. That's changed a ton. It's still changing. Years, it's right? still changing. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? What oh, do you see? I, I love it. Uh, yeah. It's making jobs. You know, mm. a lot of more creatives are coming to Atlanta. It, it right. opens so many other doors. Sure. More business for me, potential business for you, potential business for everyone. Right. I see a lot of, like, just potential and a lot of doors that can be open for everyone. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a singer or a dancer or, you know, they're doing a lot of movies here and stuff right now. So uh, there's doors opening up for, like, everyone. What was your story of kind of how you got started into taking pictures? So my grandfather was a photographer, and um, he actually dated this girl at B&H Photo in New York. So we had literally Nikon, Canon, Sony, Minolta's, like all different type of cameras and lenses. Um, he d grew up doing a lot of film. He d didn't really teach me a lot of that. I had to learn all that kind of on my own. But it really just started off with skateboarding. Skateboarding and um, my friends making me kind of like start filming them because I had the camera and sometimes I didn't land all the tricks and you know I'd hurt myself so I just started shooting I found more love for photography and I was doing skate photography like like just like how I was skateboarding every single day I started to shoot every single day and then mm -hmm. from apart from shooting skateboarding I started you know shooting little models here and there and then like way before even Instagram I was I was still in high school and I did everyone's um like high school uh, picture and, and prom, but I don't really want to talk about my prom. <laughs> <laughs> Bad story. <laughs> uh, kind of, but I was a, the photographer and I did make some money shooting pictures. Yeah. My prom date wasn't really. Yeah. Wasn't there, the but, best. Yeah, but. Um, you got me curious now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's when I kind of just knew I, from graduating high school and not my prom just sucking, but graduating high school and. I knew that I had something gifted to me that I could take pictures. Yeah. So once once after high school, I started started going to New York and um, going to a lot of um, like panels and networking. Yeah. And I just the the tree is still growing. I mean. Yeah. I'm just trying to network and shoot, shoot, shoot. Was there a point where you kind of decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do for a living? It's I would not a say hobby that, that, high school, that high school prom night, that was definitely like, <laughs> I think this is what I'm good at. Yeah. And I don't think I'm that good at prom. <laughs> <laughs> what are the first couple steps that you kind of take after that? You know, is it kind of after graduation to, to Dude, start after doing After I graduated, it? I like, 
went to college that didn't last long but went to school for photography mm-hmm. and I just started I made business cards oh my god I gave everyone a business card yeah. <laughs> hustle yeah I gave yeah. everyone a business card uh, I got on my website made a website portfolio blogging and still still continuing to like even if I'm not p- getting paid to shoot like a client or at the time like a high school friend um, I was still out shooting with my f- skateboard friends yeah um, playing around with flashes and shutters and whatnot. So it was a trip I took to New York. I was an intern at a fashion company, mm-hmm. and uh, they took me up there for a fashion week. And it completely, that was my first time going to New York, completely changed my life. Like, <laughs> completely changed my life. Like, the, so many, the people, the, the, the energy, and the buildings, and yeah. A lot of it was really, really motivating. So how how did it change your life? Tell me about that. What um, what did it kind of push you towards? It pushed me to like. It just made me realize that the world is like really big, hmm. it's super big. <laughs> but um, I seen the like photography scene up there, and I actually I I met one of my super super uh, like photographers I looked up to somebody I never thought I'd meet yeah and now like we're, we're really good friends like I know his grandma we, every time I go up there I stay with him nice and we're like really good friends now but That's um, cool. I remember watching his like YouTube videos and he's like scalping up these like construction sites and he has a, a New York time interview and I'm like yo this is so cool and then I actually just followed him and continued to like support him on uh, social media and one day I went to New York I met linked up with him we had coffee and we started taking pictures when was that Ooh, this had to be around 2016 when did did you start to see that you were getting noticed was it was it Instagram that did it what what kind of pushed you over the top it was definitely Instagram and my email Um, but to be honest it was when my grandfather passed Hmm. and um, it was kind of really weird because the the physical camera I used till this day was his camera. He never let me use. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to him passing away, I, I won the award for Creative Loafing. And then since then, I got emails from upcoming like artists. I went on tour with um, the guy who made the Uber Everywhere song. Yeah. And I went on tour with 21 Savage, like, way before he was, um, like, as big as he is now. And that that whole year, my grandfather passing, I won the award, the couple tours, and then my, literally, my engagement skyrocketed. He said his grandfather passed away, but the actual story is much more tragic. Quan was living with his pops, as he called him, when one day just a few years ago, he came home to find his grandfather had been murdered by an intruder. The loss shook the Cummings family, but the impact his grandfather had still drives Quan today. He was everything. He was like my father, because I didn't know my, my, my real father. Um, so he kind of raised you? He raised me. I like When me and my mom would argue, he would take me. He'd just be like, oh, you're, you're staying in the house a couple nights. He was a, also an electrician and a contractor. So he'd wake me up. I hate waking up. I hated waking up like 5 a.m. I hated waking up so early to like 
help him out and stuff. But honestly, it actually taught me like so much because even like the issues that I have in my house, plumbing, electrical, I can fix myself. Yeah, sort of, sort of like, you know, taught you just the, the details of, of being a man. Basically. Yes, but yeah. me being as young as I was, I honestly had no idea all the stuff he was teaching. All the stuff he told me, I had no idea. Like, it definitely like was much needed. Just before his grandfather's death, Quan had begun to experiment with a new style in his photography. It involved somehow making it to the top of a tall building in downtown Atlanta, and taking what became his signature shot—a beautiful cityscape with his legs dangling seemingly in midair at the bottom of the frame. I would just like get the thrill, like not just like from the adrenaline because I, I don't want to fall, but it's just a thing where I just want to take different shots. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't really see anybody in Atlanta doing those type of shots. Um, I remember my coming home memory card full of like so many good shots so many crazy shots like yeah. I, in one night i would hit me and my boys would hit like three four rooftops and come back with like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shots um and then my granddad would just be at home in his chair watching king of the hill <laughs> and uh, <laughs> He, and I'd show him my pictures, and he'd be like, oh, boy, you crazy, you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what was his reaction yeah, when he, he saw that the first time? Um, he, yeah, he'd just be like, oh, yeah, you're crazy, you're crazy. So I got to ask you, going in and getting on the roof of some of these buildings is not the easiest <laughs> thing to do. At first, was there a little, you know, kind of um, sneak into the ones you could get to, or did people start recognizing you and saying yeah go on up so what happened it yes it was a little trespassing here and there um some of the doors i will just say like because it's public uh yeah some of the doors were just open huh yeah Yeah. there was no like breaking or entering and none of that um after a while a lot of people started to see my shots Mm. and then i literally got messages from like just people from instagram and um the, uh, I've had one lady at the Williams, Williamsburg, at the corner by the Coke sign. Yeah, she let me go up to her roof. But like some, a lot of, lot of buildings, you can't, you can't. Right. We'll get through the front. You can't get through the front desk because there's a person. Yeah. And even if you do, there's a the elevator. It, it can't. Yeah, you need a card. You need access. Yeah. And eventually, like, people just started giving me permission. Pretty much, it started off trespassing, and then now. No, I, since my grandfather's passed, I'm not ex- as extreme. Do you get a lot of people that reach out to you about, hey, can, can you wear my shoes in one of those no, shots? No, I would love for that to happen more 2019. Yeah. Um, not yet, no. Only yeah. like a couple. So you're up to, I checked earlier today, you're like over 25,000 followers on Instagram, right? Currently, yeah. What is... Do you have a strategy now with Instagram? What is what does Instagram do for you? Uh, I feel like um, over the over the years, like Instagram has definitely changed. <laughs> definitely, like no they doubt. added the stories, they added DMs. Because a long time ago, there wasn't no like DM. There there wasn't no live. There wasn't no like much of what they have now. Yeah. Now they, I feel like they have so many tools that you can network. No matter what you do, 
you could run a whole business. You could run a whole shopping store. Sure. Um, I guess my strategy is just like it's everybody's stuff is different because I'm just a photographer showcasing pretty much my artwork. Yeah. You know, business. There's a lot of different different strategies, but I would just say my strategy is just to kind of post like every two three days. Keep your stories kind of like healthy engage with your audience yeah and i know a lot of people have that have like high amounts of like followers and even my even my account um i get a lot of dms that i haven't responded to yet i'm so sorry guys um (laughs) in case for those of you listening to the podcast kwan is live on instagram right now as we are uh recording this show and he's getting blown up by his followers right now just a little bit it's a beautiful thing I want to talk to you a little bit about now the business aspect uh, okay. and kind of building your brand. Your your style uh, and your, whether it's your Instagram feed or some of the work you've done, kind of established your, your brand. But how do you, how did you build the business portion of that to where you turned at first a hobby and then you turned that into <laughs> the way you make a living? Uh, it actually took a lot of time, first yeah. of all. A lot of, a lot of errors. A whole lot of errors. Um, I would just say making a website and making a Facebook page, making just pretty much not just an Instagram. You right. could be a YouTube vlogger. You could be a food blogger. Um, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Um, I just started to make my online presence look professional. And then kind of just like engaging with clients more. I started my online store. I use Squarespace a lot. I mean, I could just directly add links to my stories. And, you know, if if you have a good product, good content, and if you market it right, you could sell anything. You could probably sell ice to Eskimo. Engage, engage, engage. Yeah. Consistency. I was going to ask you about that. Consistency and engage engage. you you keep using that word engage and what i've noticed from from following you for a couple years now on instagram is you comment when somebody leaves you a comment or asks you a question Mm -hmm. you you answer it yes that's engaging with your audience Um, you don't want to just like have all these followers and right they they feel like they can't talk to you (laughs) i want to be able to like talk and work work with everyone have you like built a like a community of, of friends and people that that you hang out with that, that you met on Instagram? Yeah, we have. Yeah. I have like big groups um, of other photographers that right. when I when and then what this creates, it creates it's like a sharing thing. Hmm. So when I post a picture, I share it to the group. Yeah. When they post a picture, we share it to the group, and we all we all get notified, yep. and we all like and comment, and it's literally like a tree. It it, it just yeah. builds. Before we go on with today's episode, I want to take a minute to address the small business owners listening to the show. Here at Atlanta Born and Brand, we hope to bring great value to you over the course of our first season. And now, we're looking for a couple partners to help us do that. If you're interested in advertising your business or brand on this show, let us know. We're looking to build a team of great companies and ultimately create a network that props up all great Atlanta-run businesses. If you'd like more information, send us an email at info at atlborn.com. That's info at atlborn.com. Quan's content, style, and his ability to interact with his community have begun to really pay off for him. He's been approached by a number of brands locally, 
but recently was approached by Google to be a brand ambassador for their new Pixel 3 camera phone. And just this week, he announced on social media a brand new deal with, you guessed it, a shoe company. Puma is just the latest to have seen Quan's brand and have decided they want to be a part of it. It seems like you, you know, you've got a lot of opportunities that, that kind of have come along your way since you're, <laughs> you're doing this. But I, what my question is, is what, where do you see yourself 10 years down the line? What's next Dude, for you? 10 years, I, I'm, I'm studying, um, I'm getting into uh, architecture hmm. and uh, urban planning. Yeah. Because I want to, I'd, I'd love to design homes and I'd love, not just homes, restaurants, uh, small spaces, clothing stores, literally yeah. any, I want to just design yeah. and I want to build. I just want to create something that's going to help, also help Atlanta grow. Like, I want to make a house so dope that you see this one shot and everybody around the world, they're just like, I got to get that picture. I got to fly to Atlanta and rent out this Airbnb yeah. like home and do this shot. House Oquan. House House Oquan. Uh, there you go. <laughs> that's a good idea. I'll give you that one for free. <laughs> what do you think your pops would think about kind of everything that's that's gone on since he's been gone for you and things that have blown up for you? Well, he would definitely has to be, yeah, he'd be proud of me because I bought this like $3,000 lens that I still use and it's it was very worth it. And yeah. that same year I did a Reebok campaign and pretty much got that money back. Yeah. That's awesome. So I hope he'd be proud of me. He never let me. He never wanted me to touch the Nikon D750 I have. <laughs> never wanted me to touch that one. And that's your bread and butter now. It's oh man, it's 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 good. It's a good camera. For other people that are trying to either build a brand or run their own small business or self-employed business, what what piece of advice would you give the best. Uh, creatives? I'm sorry, the best piece of advice I could give anyone selling hot dogs on the street, doing anything, anything, consistency and just good content. Yeah. And just really consistency. If you're like doing stuff with MailChimp and you have a newsletter and you're good, on, you're good at doing that every week, every, you know, every sale, every holiday, just consistency. If you're going to do it, do it. Yeah. Don't halfway do it if you're gonna do something do it right that's what my granddad also told me if you're gonna do something do it right and it seems to me like and we talked a little bit about it but for you it's just as much about supporting other people's venture. yeah network yeah don't do bad business i mean just treat people how you want to be treated and respond to emails and consistency yeah. <laughs> To stay up to date with Quan, follow him on Instagram at QuanATL or head to QuanATL.com. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you'd like to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at ConnectsATL.com. Special thanks go out to our producer, Catherine Hilliard, and the Connects Media team, Chris Hilliard, Mackenzie Bates, and Andrew Blaylock. Stay tuned to the show for more stories from the city's top startups and small businessmen and women. You can do that by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. 
keep up with the show on social media. We're ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.